Father, I just have a simple prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, on this nation, on this city, on this community, on the body of Christ, Lord. We have many in the body of Christ, Lord, who instead of gathering and drawing near are sliding away, fading, cooling off, sitting it out, laying down, putting down their cross, and Lord, just whether it be due to discouragement or apathy, Lord, call your children back to you. Revive us. Lord, even if we love you, we can love you a thousand times more. Lord, turn those that are in darkness and, and deception in our government, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our coworkers, Lord, we just pray that you would bring a revival, an awakening. We need a great awakening. Not just here, but they need it around the world. We're one tribe, one tongue, all descending from Noah, Lord, all of our brothers and sisters that are not yet in Jesus, Lord, uh, that were at least uh, of one flesh, Lord, they need to come to know you as Lord and Savior. And those that are born again in other countries, Lord, use them as bright lights. So, Lord, we're not just praying for a revival in America, but in Europe and Africa and the Middle East and Asia and South America and the Pacific and Central America and all over, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would do this as only you can do, Lord. We pray that you would radically change us. Lord, increase our faith. Fill us with your love and the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. It's in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also pray for our persecuted brothers. Let them know that, Lord, we're thinking about them this morning. As you let Peter out of prison, you let Paul out of prison, you'd let them out of prison. Lord, you'd stop the hand of their persecutors, even save the hand of their persecutors. And we humbly just ask all these things that you said we could ask anything in your name. We ask for your peace and your joy as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to three places. Not one, not two, but three. Acts chapter 20. 2 Timothy 4 and Hebrews chapter 12. Acts chapter 20, 2 Timothy 4, Hebrews chapter 12. Two passages from Paul, one from Hebrews, some think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some don't, that's okay. But we know that... Uh, Actually, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but Paul is quoted here, so it's not really Paul's writing, but Paul is quoted by Luke. Some think Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, so it's possible as well. Um, nevertheless, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul speaking, Luke recording it for us. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may what? Finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Your race is to testify of God. My race is to testify of God. Every one of our races is to fulfill the ministry and to do it with joy. Over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
Why don't you stand as we read these two, last two passages? We'll do, go, we're going to go old school again. Stand and we'll honor the Word of God. Boy, you've been kneeling, you've been standing. It's like aerobics in here. You know, you're just getting get a good workout. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7. Now this actually is Paul not only speaking but, uh, but writing as well. He writes, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, starting verse 6. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Paul was always focused on that race. Do you notice that? He mentioned it back there in Acts 20. He was always, he knew he was in a race. He had the baton in his hand. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. There's that word we've been talking so much about, faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day, on that day. Not to me also only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love that Jesus is coming back? Yes. That'll make you turn the news off. Like, yes, the Lord's coming back. Last passage, Hebrews 12, which is our text for this morning. I just wanted to have a couple of other texts that kind of give context to what we're reading in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Boy, you think you've got a different writer here. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to say something. There's this race again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, here's the word again, joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, we might have read these verses many times, but Lord, may they sink deeper into our soul this morning, for we need to know the power of your resurrection. We need to understand this calling and this race that you place us in. We need to know this kind of joy and peace that Paul experienced that he could be in so much suffering and turmoil and not care and be filled with joy that he wouldn't even count his life dear to himself. Lord, show us this as we've seen in Hebrews 11, the saints that went before us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just stay right there in Hebrews 12. That's where we'll spend our time anyway. In the spiritual life, we're all called to run. And just like physical running, it's not easy. Amen? It's not easy to run for the Lord. Not easy to go running. Milton Berle, he once said, My doctor told me that jogging would add years to my life. He was right. I feel 10 years older already. I saw a tweet about someone who was running for a half hour on the treadmill, only looked down and see they had been running for four minutes. True story for many of us, regardless of the form of exercise. It doesn't matter what kind of exercise you're like, oh, I've been doing this forever. Three minutes in. But running, it has a way of challenging your mind and your body and resolve in a way that laying on the couch with the remote control just doesn't do. Amen? 
Running will challenge you. The remote won't challenge you, other than you're like, oh, did I have all the things plugged in here? And unless you're about to miss a connection of an airplane, you have two minutes to get from Terminal A to Terminal B, or unless you're sick and laid up from a recent surgery or something like that, running versus reclining is usually a choice. Running versus reclining is usually a choice. And I've done plenty of both. How about you? So there's a valuable time to run or some sort of exercise, regardless of your age, or, or depending, I should say, depending on your age or physical condition. And there's some reasonable times to have some simple downtime. The point is, running always involves effort. It requires energy and stamina and produces varying levels of discomfort, fatigue, some muscle pain, and a desire to quit, especially if you go running on a hot July day. Your muscles will scream. I know. I try and run two to three times a week. Literally, I, and I'm talking about physical running here. I run two to three times a week, not so much because it's my absolute favorite thing to do. Matter of fact, I really only love to play sports. And a few years ago, I thought I'd never run again after neck surgery. And uh, I had a torn meniscus in the knee. I tore a hamstring. And I started running because God told me to start running. It was nothing to do. I, I wouldn't choose it for myself or other people. I, was like, I, just want to I just knew it. Through scriptures he kept giving me, telling me to run. So it's not my favorite thing to do, but I do it because the Lord's led me, and partly because of health and fitness, because I hope I'll need it 20 years from now. We're seeing this massive harvest someday, or maybe 20 months from now. But for me personally, it's more about when I run, I talk to the Lord, I sing in my mind, I meditate on Scripture, I zone out, and I have no other distractions, and I leave that ugly cell phone at home. I have no other distractions. Nobody can reach me. Nobody can, only God can talk to me. The other day I was running, I literally had the sense that Christ was running right alongside me. He doesn't get tired, by the way. He can run for a thousand years and never have even the slightest breath. Now, of course, God has no requirement for everyone to be a runner, or even to exercise for that matter. Some of the healthiest people on earth, physically and mentally, um, they simply eat with, in good moderation. They have a strong work, work ethic. They're kind. They're forgiving. They get proper sleep. They read far more books than digital media. They don't really re exercise at all. And you'll find them in Libya. You'll find them in Lebanon. You'll find them in China. They're very, in one sense, kind of sedentary, but they're very consistent. And some of the healthiest in medical studies have been done. So I'm not telling you you need to go join American family, although Joseph would be happy if he did. But uh, does personal training and stuff over there. But, um, but think about Jesus. He simply walked everywhere, didn't he? And he served other people. We never see Jesus running or doing push-ups in the Bible, right? We don't see him do any of that kind of stuff. Whatever's in, hey, disciples, uh, before we can get into the Word, we all need to do our calisthenics. We never see that. But Jesus finished his course, didn't he? Jesus finished his course. And by the will of God, the Christian life is, in fact, compared to running. Even if you're 88 years old and you can't run, you can run spiritually. Why? Why is it compared to running? Because of the difficulty and the exertion. Because gravity in our lungs are at odds. Gravity in our lungs are at odds. You ever run up 
Uh, you ever have the elevators broken, you have to go up like 10 flights of stairs, you'll find that gravity and our lungs are at odds. You'll be gasping a little bit. Even if you're in good shape, certain elevations will challenge you. Our flesh and the spirit is at odds. Do you agree with that? You ever agree with Paul? He said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, those are the things I'm doing? Yeah. You say that when it's 11.05 and you're still watching TV. Why am I doing this? Why did I just watch the news again? Now I won't be able to sleep. Right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know... Do you not know that those that run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Spiritually speaking, our Christian life is like running a race. Not a race against other people. You are not, a race against, you're not in a race against your brother and sister. Calvary Chapel, Richmond, this is so liberating for me as pastor. I'm not in a race to be the most successful church in town. We're not even close to the most successful church in town. We're way down the list. And I couldn't care less that we're way down the list. Because Jesus, the way he looks at lists are not the way we look at a list. We look at lists and say, well, that person's more handsome than that other person. God doesn't look at people that way. You're not in a race against other people's life. You're not even in a race against their spiritual life. God's not saying, you know, I did the comparison and I think I like Paul better than Peter. You're not in a race against other people. But you're in a race, and you have a difficult course. That's the facts. I know the world wants to sugarcoat everything. You're in a difficult course if you're a Christian. You're going to have a difficult course set by the Lord himself. He's given you the course to run against your own flesh and against the headwinds of this world. There's a lot of them. And against the headwinds of Satan's very real opposition. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy Calvary Chapel Richmond. He wants to destroy me as a pastor. I know all this. And Jesus says, don't sweat it. Just keep running. I'll be with you. And ultimately, the Lord has us running this race to finish what God has set before us. This is the exhortation and the point the writer is trying to drive home. Look to Jesus. Finish your race. Paul spoke of it often. If you're taking notes, you saw the title of our time in the Word this morning. Let me see if I advance that. And if I battery went dead here, there we go, guys. Um, if you're taking notes, the race of faith, running with purpose. And the first thing we want to look at, if you're taking notes this morning, and we're going to look at, even if you're not taking notes this morning, uh, nevertheless, learn from witnesses. I could also title this Learn from Finishers. Thankfully, we're not the first people of God to run around the track. Isn't that great to know? Aren't you glad that your parents, you know, when you were growing up, you were asking parents, have you ever encountered this? Like, oh yeah. Have you ever encountered this? Oh yeah. Almost nothing we ever come up against, we don't meet somebody who's already gone through it. We're not the first people to run around the track. Many have gone before us and finished their course. That should give us some encouragement, right? Other people have finished. Many saints have finished. And I could equally say that we learn from finishers as well as we learn from witnesses. They're one and the same. Witnesses are those that have lived their lives as a witness for Christ 
And finishers are those that have lived as a witness right up until God called them home. That makes sense? A finisher was a witness all the way to the end. From a ministry perspective, I had the blessing of running side by side with Pastor Randy. Many of you, uh, if you're visiting, you don't know who Pastor Randy is, but many of you do. I had, uh, from a ministry perspective, running side by side with him for 11 years. And I've run with many other people. I've had, I ran with ministry, uh, good friends in Charlotte when I lived there, Fort Lauderdale when I lived there. Here, I run side by side with many of you in the faith. This week, it was fun that uh, I was one day meeting with three guys, discipling three guys that are all less than 24 years of age. Next day, I was with three guys, four guys. There he is. Some of them are here, but they're over 60-some years old, and, and, and I think up to 70-some years old. And, uh, and, uh, so it, it, uh, no matter who you're running with spiritually, you have the same one who is leading you on the course, and that's Jesus, who, who's timeless. He doesn't have an age like us, right? But I had the blessing of, of running with Pastor Randy for 11 years and as a friendship even longer, and I saw him live as a witness right up until the end of his life. Yeah, talk to Michelle. She can share with you other things. But um, it was a blessing to see. And even though it was a very difficult thing and remains a difficult thing when God calls anybody home, one of the things that encourages us in the faith is when people actually finish well. It's a reminder. We have to finish the course. Paul said, remember we just read it. I'm just reminding you of what we read. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Fought, kept, finished. Fought, kept, finish. None of those things are easy. (laughs) In other words, there's going to be some opposition if you have to fight, there's going to be some opposition if you have to finish. There's going to be something pulling against you if you have to keep. It's that belief that the fight is worth it. Do you believe the fight is worth it? Do you believe the fight that God has put you in is worth it? That the work of the gospel and living for Jesus as our calling, do you believe that's a worthy calling? When you get to heaven, you'll realize it was the only worthy calling. All the other stuff, you're like, why did I spend so much time and energy on HGTV? Uh, we, my wife and I, we were watching this um, home renovation. It was really awesome. And I was looking, I was like, that looks really cool. I can't afford that stuff anymore. I used to have a better salary than this. And I used to be, but, but then I was taken, I, got, I looked in and I was like, but if I take a shower, will it feel more peaceful if I have marble around me, if the water's the same water? I mean, when I think about it, like if literally if I eat at that table, would my food taste better if I had the most amazing table or just the table we currently have? Would my food taste any different? And God's like, the Spirit's God, why do you care about that? Your food is, the cheeseburger will be the exact same on their table or your table. But that's the way the enemy, he's constantly getting people off the track, off the race. It's finishing that demonstrates that it's the work of Christ in us. Anyone can start, but Jesus finishes. Amen? Jesus finishes. Jesus said there on the cross, it is finished. That's what he said on the cross. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus is the ultimate finisher? I'm speaking to those of you online as well, so if you got distracted by the magazine on your table, listen. We'll get more to Jesus being a finisher in verse 2, but the apostles, they were eyewitnesses of his ministry. Therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1. And of his, the apostles, they not only are witnesses of his ministry, but is completing the will and the mission of God. But well before the apostles, the Lord had raised up those that had also finished and believed the word of God. And how did they do that? Through faith. They trusted God. They trusted that the word of God was true no matter what they saw around them. I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not even the slightest bit, um, no matter how much, let's say an atheist is talking to me, or I'm watching the propaganda of mainstream TV or whatever else, I'm not the slightest bit, even a centimeter moved by their arguments. Because once you know truth, it doesn't matter. You can tell me till you're blue in the face to drink Clorox, and I will not. You could tell me all day long how pretty the color is. You could tell me you tried it and it was great. I'm not drinking it. Once you know truth, you can't be deterred. And so the witnesses before us, they believe God, not the lies of this world, not the lies of Satan, not the things that people say. And so they had faith. They trusted no matter what they saw around them, they became witnesses of the faithfulness of God. I learned so much from what I call alumni saints. How about you? Alumni saints. The graduates from this earth that have finished by faith and with honors are now forever in heaven. We're going to meet them someday. I can't wait to meet like Joseph and John the Baptist and Paul and talk to them all. But, but the picture here is the runner. It's, he's entering a stadium. You've seen the Olympics when the marathon, where does the marathon finish in the Olympics? It always finishes in the main Stadium, right? So you have the main stadium. They'll run over all over Athens or all over Tokyo or all over Los Angeles. But the finish is in the Los Angeles Coliseum, right? And so that's where the finish. And the stadium is filled. And this is the picture here. The cloud of witnesses. The runner would finish. And then back then they'd get the garland that would be on the head and all that stuff. But you would finish and the stadium is filled with people cheering them on. But unlike a stadium of spectators... This stadium is full of witnesses that were all former runners. And every one of them had run the same marathon, which is totally different than going to an NFL game and you have a bunch of people telling the quarterback how he should act Then they've never even been on a football field. If I was out there, I would do, you know, this guy's like, oh gosh, you can't even throw a football, much less. But these were all people that had finished the race, all former runners, they had run the strength-sapping, emotionally draining, spiritually weary, Christian life marathon. Can I get an amen on that? And they did it with what? With joy. As Paul was talking about there in Acts, as, as Paul mentioned in 2 Timothy, Nehemiah, way back in the uh, Old Testament saints, they understood the same thing. If I get this to advance... In Nehemiah 8.10, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Sometimes, if you're not doing real well, just start saying, Lord, 
Your joy is my strength. Simple prayer, your joy is my strength. Your joy is my strength. The joy of the Lord was their strength, and it'll be ours. I learned so much from the graduate saints of old, D.L. Moody, George Mueller, A.W. Tozer, Ravi Zacharias recently going home with, to be with the Lord. Just, you know, I learned a lot from his sharing the faith and his ministry. And from veteran and battle-scarred saints that we have with us even now. I mentioned Pastor Joe up in Philly. He's been a, a saint since the 70s that's still with us. And I mentioned Dr. Charles Stanley still sharing the Word of God. He has to sit down at the little table there and still faithfully shares the Word of God. Dr. Tony Evans down in Dallas. I remember on a Wednesday night I got to go to his service and just to, to you know, see that he continues to be used in a mighty way. Pastor Jim Simbola up in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, there's a lot of saints that have a lot of battle scars and they've been beaten up and felt like giving up many times. I've heard them tell, talk about it, how many times they felt like giving, giving up in the ministry. And by the way, pray for your pastors. They're leaving the ministry right and left because the lukewarm church is so bearing down on them, they're just done with it. I've felt that way numerous times. I'm like, Lord, uh, take me back to corporate America where people were nice. <laughs> Unsaved people sometimes are way nicer than Christians. It's really a complete abomination to the Lord. We need to get our act together in the body of Christ and start loving like God's called us to. But it's really, it's really a sad situation. But the battle-scarred saints that are keeping the faith, they won't, like Nehemiah, they won't move off the wall. Nehemiah would not come down off the wall. And by the way, the enemy wants to get you off the wall, off the course, off the track. But I learn a lot from those that have held firm. And so we see that cloud of witnesses. Uh, when I run on a really hot day, and there's, uh, there's dozens of times when I run that I want to stop. And by the way, when you run your race, you don't know, when you're running, period, you don't know when you're going to feel like stopping. Sometimes it's in the beginning, sometimes it's in the middle, sometimes it's near the end. Same with your life. You don't know when you're going to feel it, but all of a sudden, that's when you have the Lord say, others have finished. You can finish. Others have held in there. I'm at your side. I'll help you keep going. I literally think of those sometimes when I'm running, when I, I, um, they're spiritually run. I think of soldiers that have fought in 100-plus temperature days covered in armor and broken legs, and they fight day after day. I've watched documentaries. I've read things. I'm like, how did these guys do this? They weren't even saved. And they had this motivation. The stories are mind-bending of, of the indomitable spirit, and that's just people's commitment level. We can't even get Christians to come to prayer meetings. It's unbelievable. And people will fight like that for a cause... You know, I think of um, this morning I was texting with uh, one of our brothers that just got shipped out on the Navy. What, how long is it, Jason? Be out? Nine months or so. Uh, texting with him. I mean, if he can hang out on a ship for nine months, I can ha hang on my place on the wall. How about you? And be faithful to the Lord. You've heard the old saying, it's always too soon to quit. You see, Satan doesn't care if you quit easily as long as you quit eventually. Let me say that again. Satan doesn't care if you quit easily as long as you quit eventually. A lot of Christians take great pride in the fact that, well, I don't easily quit, I just eventually quit. Eventually is the same. You might as well just go ahead and quit. Or you can stay in the race, as Jesus has said. You can bail now or you can bail later, but if you still bail, you still bail. 
Jesus didn't bail. He did not finish until it was finished. But God has helped our past and even ancient brethren, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, and he'll help us. Even if you feel like throwing in the towel, maybe this morning you feel like throwing in the towel. Pray. Read the Word of God expectantly. And try reading maybe a biography of someone like Hudson Taylor or David Livingston or D.L. Moody, and then you'll re-enlist. <laughs> when you read, say, wow, I think about, I, I, why did I think I had it the worst on earth? Now, even as we're encouraged to keep going, we still have to pre prepare and commit to finish. Let's look at the next thing. Lay aside hindrances, sins and weights, hindrances. Let us lay aside every, let's look at this again in the text. Let us lay, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Notice the language. Lay aside. That means intentional. No one's going to lay aside for you. You will have to say, Lord, I'm laying this down. Some weights, every weight. Every weight. God will show you the weights. To ensnare means to be surrounded. It means trapped. You're ensnared. You're, it's like cords wrapping around you. And we wrap them around ourselves with our own sin and our refusal to let go of them. And the sin, the sins have to be identified and tossed out. Uh, remember our Nehemiah study, right out of the dung gate. Just kick them right on out. Right out of the dung gate. If you remember the study of our gates. We're not to excuse sin in our life. Amen? But call it what it is. We're not to excuse it, but to eradicate it from our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of Jesus. Aren't you glad he forgives us every day? Every day I fail him. Every day I sin. John, you ever hear, there's a, actually a doctrine out there. It's not a true doctrine. People say you can reach sinless perfection on this earth. You ever heard it? It's not true. Because John was the apostle, the oldest living apostle. He said, if we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's, pretty good. That's a pretty good hint that you'll always have some measure of imperfection and sin that God's going to continually deal with you about. So it's not to discourage us, but to keep taking it to the cross. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit of God to, to eradicate sin or even lay down weights, but he promises to help us. Anything God asks you to do, he'll help you do. Amen? If he says, I want you to honor your marriage for the whole rest of your life, you can do it because God can help. If he says, I want you to be honest with people, you can do it because God will help you. If he says, I want you to not kill people, you can do that and not do these kind of things. He'll be able to help you keep that which you've committed unto him against that day. Now without question, as we already looked at, we're, we're really grateful and lifted somewhat and emboldened by the faithful witness, witnesses of God that have gone before us. But we're also really helped and protected by the warnings of God, aren't we? Warnings are good. If there's a F5 tornado bearing down on the city, I would like to know. How about you? Warnings are good. Eh, I don't want to interrupt my lunch. I'm really enjoying myself. Don't let me know about that until I'm just swept away. 
No, the warnings of God are good. Um, and the warnings of God include prior casualties of those that didn't heed the warnings. So in the Bible, we have these kind of warnings. Take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 10 through 12, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. In other words, you don't have to make the mistake, you don't have to learn by experience. Say, well, the only way I'm going to learn is to make the same dumb mistake. So I'd like to break both my legs because so-and-so broke both their legs. So I really understand how to not do that. Or you could just learn from, no, no, no. Upon whom the end of the ages have come. So if we understand this, we may not we may not consider complaining all that big a deal because it's an American tradition, right? <laughs> complaining is our inalienable right. That's why we have Yelp. That's why we have Facebook. That we, we, we love to complain. It's what we do really good. We may not consider it a big deal, but it is a big deal to God. It's not a character flaw. It's sin. It's sin to complain. And all sin that isn't dealt with in our lives will poison us and destroy us and people around us. Namely, the people that are in your sphere. I can't remember the book, uh, but I read recently how Moses, he did complain on a number of occasions. He did. But you know who he complained to? God. He did not do his complaining to people. And that's a real key. You're going to have times where you really need to get it off your chest, but you need to talk to God who, that's where you need to talk. Complaining to your neighbor or your brother and sister in Christ, that's sin. He took his complaints privately to the Lord, not to people. He took them in prayer. And it's in surrender to God and in the relationship with God and through the Word of God that he'll identify the sin that is in us that we need to confess and discard and the weights that we need to let go of. God will identify your sin and weights are not the same as mine. They could be the same, but oftentimes we all have different sins and different weights that we struggle with. Amen? We're not, we don't all have the same things. We all have the same bad flesh, but we have different things that tempt us, different things that discourage us, different things that cause us anxiety or depress us or, or distress us. We all have different things, and sometimes they're the same things, but it's in surrender to God that He'll show us what they are. And sometimes we just know, but other times we need God to show us blind spots. Anyone think they have blind spots? You do, trust me. If you have a spouse, they are glad to help identify your blind spots. And uh, by the way, as long as you do it in love, you're actually trying to build each other up. I mean, me and my wife, we know each other's blind spots now because we talk about them, but we don't tear each other down about blind spots. We help each other grow past them. And I'm glad I have people that show me blind spots because as a man, I can do some dumb things without some help around the way. So, you know, God gives us people in our life, but mainly He gives us the Holy Spirit. If you're burdened by a sin stronghold, I'm speaking to everyone, those of you online, listen to this. If you're burdened by a sin stronghold, go first to the Lord with it and leave it at the cross 
But if need be, you may need to grab one of our elders here, one of the spiritually mature men and women of Christ. And we've got uh, plenty, thankfully, that are mature in the Lord, and they have to be people that can keep word. They're not busybody. They're not telling your business to everybody else. They have to be honorable before the Lord and pray and confess and gain victory over Satan who wants you to just hide and struggle with things. It might be bitterness. It might be unforgiveness. It might be anger. It might be lust or pornography. It might be spiritual pride, which is really hard to see. But it can be identified. And all these things, the Bible tells us in James 5, 6, 5.16, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It takes humility to ask for help and to say, man, I am really struggling. I am so bitter. Or I have been just gossiping like crazy. And it's wrong. Would you pray that God would help me gain victory over this in my life? But when you're healed, you can run. When you're healed, you can run. I know when I've had a torn hamstring, I could not run. I could watch people run, but I couldn't run. When you're healed, you can run. And the Lord wants each of us spiritually healed and running in His grace. You see, we're not just called to run our race, but to do so reflecting the work, the work of God's grace in our lives. Spiritually speaking, our purpose in running is to bring others into their race. Amen? We're running that they would, hey, people say you're running. Where are you going? I'm going to heaven with Jesus. Do you want to come along? I know that's an oversimplification, but I'm just saying that that, we're running the race to bring other people into the race that they would finish the finish line in heaven. Otherwise, if they don't join the race, their finish line is hell. So that's how big the calling is. That's how important the calling is. That's why Jesus had to go all the way to the cross, which we're going to, We'll finish with Jesus' perspective in just a couple of minutes here, but our running to bring others to Christ, it can't happen and it won't happen when we're holding on to sin and things that we like to enjoy, but those same things are defeating us. Which are not only limitations to spiritual progress, but they're weakening us and they're weakening others. That's why we need, we need each other's encouragement to together thing. But remember, running, running is a forward motion, isn't it? Running is a forward motion, and it has a momentum that requires a freedom of movement that's next to impossible if you're carrying certain things. You cannot carry your refrigerator and run. Samson may have been able to, but everybody else couldn't pull that off. I mean, they're... Uh, but he had the Holy Spirit. That would be a supernatural thing. Uh, you may love a certain chair in your house, but it's ludicrous to run with it on your back. Or try to, just because you love it so much. Well, I love it that much, I can't separate myself from it. Well, then you can't run. But God may be saying spiritually, you're running with your smartphone. Again, I hate to run with my smartphone. I love to leave it at home and not have it with me. Put it down. Things like uh, anxiety and depression, they can be hard to lay aside. I, I, I know that they're very hard things to lay aside. 
but you can't even lay them aside. You need God's help to lay them aside. You may have to lay them aside many times, by the way. But as you lay them aside, you can't lay them aside unless you lay smaller things aside first. The small things have to be laid. Because actually the small things contribute to the massive issues of our life. It's all the small things that cause the big things. The smaller weights. Maybe you have too much stuff and it becomes, you have so much stuff you're worried about all your stuff. I said last week, I can't believe how many storage units we build in this town. Like, uh, it's good to know that our couch is safely off Hall Street in some place so we have it for a rainy day in case the other couches we have, you know, whatever. I understand units for moving a house. and I get all that where you're, 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 it's there while you're trying to move houses. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just too much stuff. And, you know, Americans have all this, these things that they want to balance. And by the way, if you have four cars, then you have four car payments. That becomes a, a burden and a weight that God didn't want you to bear. All these kind of things. If shopping and browsing makes you feel good for the moment, but it fills you with greed, that's really not helpful. Don't look at the catalog. Don't browse online. Too much news will wear you out. Cause worry. Maybe, just maybe, the pre-pandemic schedule and weights were things God wanted us to put down a long time ago. Amen? Maybe he didn't want you busy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Kids this, kids that, kids this, soccer this, away for the weekend, spend $400 on the weekend, hotel and everything else, and tell everybody we loved it when we didn't. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason Twitter rhymes with bitter. <laughs> you ever read the comments on Twitter? I have a Twitter account. I mean, it's like crazy. It's full of nonstop viciousness every day. Some of these people say the same things. I could just... Insert their comment for them. Facebook could be renamed Face Palm. And I have Facebook. I use it for the Lord. Instagram is like Instagloat. You know, all of these things. Maybe God has you using these platforms. He has me using them. I know. The Lord called me to use them. I have to be very careful how I use them, how often I use them. But maybe He has used them. Maybe He doesn't want you to use it. Maybe for you it's just a weight. You need to get rid of it. Again, it's not the same for each person. Perhaps your career goals aren't God's, and now they're causing weights. It depends. It's not the same for everybody. Pastor Ray Stedman said years ago, Joseph properly ruled in Egypt, but for Moses it was a hindering weight. That makes sense? God called Joseph to rule there, called Moses to leave. He might cause he caused me to leave corporate America. He might want you to be a witness in corporate America. I understand that. But you've got to have a sensitivity to the Spirit. You've got to be walking with the Spirit to know what are my weights, what are my sins, what are my blind spots. Lord, show me through the Word. Show me through other people. Show me, show me, show me. And then give me the heart to actually deal with it, lay it aside, and run this race. There's a fine line between sin and weights, by the way. A lot of weights will become sin eventually. That makes sense? What was a weight can become an idol eventually. Romans 14.23 says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So eventually, you're, not, you're no longer walking in faith, you're just walking by sight. Well, the world does that. They live by consumer reports. They live by the New York Times. That's how they kind of guide their, and, and their intellect and their master's degree and this other, this, that, and the other thing. We live by faith. Some things are always sins, and some things will become sins. So the Lord has to show us. Some are weights, for others, but not for everyone. How do we know the difference? 
we look to Christ, his word. Last thing we want to look at, speaking of looking to Jesus, we want to finish with the Lord and we'll come to a close with this last point, looking to Jesus. Let's look at verse 2. Um, just kind of let it bleed into it. Let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, and then it transitions. So we're, we're wanting to run that race with endurance. We want to finish. We want to have the spiritual stamina. And here it is. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus. It's great to know the saints of old, but they're no, they're no substitute for Jesus. Amen? I love D.L. Moody. He ain't Jesus. Nobody is. That's why even Peter got rebuked. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, Lord, this is so awesome. Let's make a tabernacle for Moses, a tabernacle for Elijah, and one for Jesus, as if they're peers. Immediately they're gone, and God says, hear him. There's no substitute. When everyone else fails you, Jesus won't. Amen? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. Everybody else was looking to the author and finisher. Jesus, he's the author of this whole 66 book canon that we have here of, of all the passages that God gave to all these different authors. and He's the author. The finisher of our faith. The joy that was set for him. How do you have joy looking at the cross? You know you're going to get crucified. You know you're going to have nails driven into your body. You know you're going to sweat and all your blood and all of these things. And he endured it all, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. This is what finishing looks like. He finished it all. It was predetermined before the foundation of the earth that Jesus would come and finish the work of dying, saving, conquering, delivering, and ushering in so great a salvation. And so we look to him, and only to him. The one who finishes course will define ours in every detail along the way. Think about it, brother and sister, those of you online. If the author and finisher of your and my salvation sets our course, we can be confident that we can continue running with his kingdom purposes in our hearts, if we keep our eyes on him. Abdu Murray, he took over for Ravi Zacharias. I love Abdu's testimony, how he came out of Islam into faith, but he's taken over. He's kind of the, the younger version of Ravi now. And, uh, but he said, he said what um, you see on the screen here. It's only looking to Jesus. There is only one who is so infinitely beautiful that he actually beautifies those who behold him. See, this is a supernatural work. Looking to saints of old will encourage us. Looking to Jesus will conform us. You see the difference? I need the encouragement of the saints of old, but I need the supernatural transformation. Looking to Jesus is a different thing. I can look to you all I want and say, wow, if they can do it, I can do it. But when I look at Jesus, he did it all. Amen? It beautifies me from the inside out. He does an inner work that no one else can do for us. You need to look to Jesus, and when you do that, it blocks out all the other distractions. It helps us die to the sins and weights. We don't just look to Jesus, by the way, but looking to Jesus is always receiving from Jesus. When you look at him, just looking in his eyes, the love of God comes in. And that's why we look in the Word of God, because the Word of God, He is the Word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's the oxygen on our lungs when we run spiritually. 
He is the oxygen. He had joy even looking to the suffering for our salvation. Which is good because he can give us the same joy in our suffering. We can actually say, I find myself doing this totally by faith. Totally by faith. A lot of times I'm like, Lord, do I even mean this? But I'll say, Lord, thank you for this trial. Thank you for this suffering. Why? Because he told me to. He said to give thanks and all things. Well, suffering is part of the all things. So I just say it. Lord, thank you for that fiery dart. That felt great. I was running the other day, and I, I, there's a mark. Of, I told my wife, I said, I was running, I was exhausted. And I'm running on this little tiny, uh, there's a little bit of mulch, and there's this fence line beside me. And I try and run on soft grass, mulch, light gravel. If I can avoid the sidewalks, I will. And shade, if I can find it. So I have these courses. And I nailed my arm on the fence line, and I went and I got home. There was blood coming off here, and I, was, I didn't realize that it hit it that hard, but I, I, it, it hurt. And I started laughing as soon as I hit it. I said, Lord, because I had a million thoughts running around my head, and they were gone the second I nailed my arm. It, just like, it was like shock treatment. Uh, every thought just was gone, and all I could feel was the throbbing in my arm. And I really was thankful for it. I said, this is great. I said, because everything up here that was rolling around just went straight to here, and I really said, thank you, Lord. And it was a reminder that God sends buffeting sometimes to buff out. You know, if you buff thing on a car, the scratch is gone. All of a sudden, the scratch is gone. God will buff it out of you. So we understand that we can say, Lord, thank you for the little things, the, the fiery darts. He can give us that same perspective that he has. And, he, and everything else we need, Jesus will give you. You know the hymn, or you may, may know it. What a friend we have in Jesus. I love the third stanza. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I know we all feel this. That's why the song was written. Not like, it, well, that means they never... No, the, the reason it's written is because we do have despair. We do have suffering. But we take it to him in prayer. Jesus has not called us to fail and collapse. He's not called you to collapse. He's called you to stand. He's called you to run. He's called you to finish. Not just to run, but to run and win. Victor's crown. Do you believe that? Thank him continually for your salvation and his faithfulness, and then lay aside the sins. If you show you the sins, Lord, I'm going to lay these aside. The weights, Lord, why do I keep holding on to this weight? I'm going to lay it down finally in July of 2020. I'm not going to make any more excuses about it. I'm going to get a brother and sister to even hold me accountable and lay these things aside that I might run with endurance. Then run by faith and wait for miracles. Amen? Then run by faith and wait for miracles. They're coming. They will come for you and for me. I want to close with this verse. I love it. I've read it a gazillion times, although the screen just died on me. That's okay. I can read it, and you can hear it. Isaiah 40, verse 31. I've read it to myself a gazillion times. I know that's not really a word, but uh, whatever a gazillion is, I've done that. Uh, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. How do you wait and run at the same time? It's in the spirit realm. It's in the spirit realm. Lord, I'm waiting for this 
thing that you have given me a promise while running by faith when I have no strength to do it. Waiting and running is a paradox. How can you run and wait at the same time? Holy Spirit will show you. I, I, I don't have time to die, define it even more, but I pray God shows that they shall walk and not faint. Satan lies as you're going to faint, you're going to faint, you're going to fall, you're going to collapse, you're going to do this. And all he's trying to do is get you to quit eventually or easily. He doesn't care which. You say, look, you just read him this verse back. Jesus responded to Satan in Scripture. Say, that's all right. The enemy, this is what it says. But those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like either. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? God wants to do that. God wants to do that in our life. Oswald Chambers said, if we do... If we do not do the running steadily in little, little ways, we shall do nothing in the crisis. The running in steadily. Lord, help me to steadily wait, steadily run. Looking to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just once again are so grateful of all your promises, of all your provision, of all your finishing work. You finished it all on the cross and you you suffered so greatly that we could be delivered from our own sin with the work of salvation, but also the sin and the work of sanctification, this running our race, this finishing our course, whatever that may be for each person, whatever the age. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Lord, you have a race you want us to finish. Satan wants us to fail. He wants us to give up. Our flesh wants to give up, but Lord, you want us to release the sins, the weights, the hindrances, and Lord, fix our eyes upon you that we can run with endurance, that we can mount up with wings like eagles. Lord, it's my prayer that each and every person here would have a spiritual renewal. You can do that, Lord, want to do that here on July the 19th. With your heads bowed, and just before we close in prayer and worship together in song, I just want to ask, and I'm speaking to anyone online as well, I know this message has really been to the saints that are running the race. Maybe you've been crawling lately, but you're still on the track, thankfully. Maybe you're laying down on the track, but you're still on the track. God wants to lift you back up to run. But on the other hand, maybe you're not on the track at all. Maybe you're not yet. You're someone that we've been calling to jump into the race and come to Jesus and be saved. I want to speak to first just a moment. If there's anyone here say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to put my faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're at home, just stand up from your couch. If you're driving, don't stand, but uh, pull over or something. If you're here in the building, just stand up. I want to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ. I may be talking to all believers, but I don't want to assume that if there's someone here that doesn't know the Lord. Anyone at all? As I mentioned, this was mostly to believers, but the Holy Spirit can speak a message to saints and hit the heart of someone who doesn't know the Lord and use it to draw them, make them thirsty for salvation. So anyone at all that wants to say, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Anyone online? If you are online, I can't see you, so I'm going to pray, and maybe someone's praying with me. It's not a sinner's prayer that will save you. It's repentance of the heart. You can say all the prayers you want, but you have to actually surrender to Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the plan of salvation. Thank you that you came, lived a sinless life, 
You preach the gospel. You are the gospel. Thank you for dying and suffering on the cross and conquering death three days later, rising from the dead, saving my soul through your precious blood. Lord, I ask you to save me and to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. In your name I pray. If anyone's done that, please send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We'd love to be able to follow up with you and, and help you grow in your faith. And I'm praying that even if not here, but people online, somebody's come to Christ. The rest of you that are here, if you say, I want to re-enlist, I want you to stand. Say, I, I, I heard from the Lord, I want to re-enlist. Maybe at home, if you want to do that, you can stand. I, I want to re-enlist. I want, I want to run this race. I've been either laying down or felt like laying down or uh, I just have exhausted. But I'm positive if I look to Jesus, he will re-strengthen me. I don't care where, where you're at. Say, I want to re-enlist. I want to have the Lord refresh me. I want you to stand right where you're at. You don't have to. But if God puts it on your heart, say, man, I want to, I want to re-enlist. I want to give everything I have to Jesus and trust him that he's going to give me the strength to run with endurance. Lord, it's your desire. Lord, each person standing, maybe someone that needs to stand right now that you want to refresh them. You, as you said, I was preparing, Lord, we cannot run unless we're healed first that you'd wash, you'd cleanse, you'd forgive, you'd revive, you'd restore, you'd re-strengthen uh, the hands and the arms that are feeble and hanging down, Lord. So we pray that you would refresh, touch. And Lord, I pray, uh, just bless with confidence and strength and peace and joy to each one that is saying, Lord, I'm going to run this race as your disciple, not because I'm good at it, but because you've called me and you'll be faithful to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.